This is why Small Business Matters from Northumbria University, supporting small businesses with the Help to Grow Management Programme. Hello and welcome to Why Small Business Matters. I'm Sarah Stevenson and I'm part of the Help to Grow Management team at Northumbria University. Today on Why Small Business Matters, we're going to be talking about sustainability and net zero, two terms that are often banded around um, that we hear frequently uh, in the press and media. Um, today I'm talking to Tama Karel, founder and owner of two businesses, Invelo, an environmental consultancy. Invelo provides training to UK businesses to meet the United Nations sustainability goals. And more recently, ICOR, an environmental compliance platform. Tama is also an associate lecturer at Northumbria University, and she's an advocate of women and girls in STEM. Great to have you here today. So tell me a little bit about how you were drawn to become a an active campaigner and a business owner. Oh, well... <laughs> Quite a long journey. I think I've always um, known I was going to work in the environmental sector in some way, shape or form. Um, I started in kind of grassroots conservation. Uh, I have a genuine love of nature and a genuine desire to protect it. So I think I knew from a really young age that the only way I was ever going to be able to work in a sector that, you know, sought to protect the environment, I was going to have to take a STEM route. Uh, in order to be able to get there. Um, My love is kind of founded in biology. So that was, uh, you know, a subject I did at my A-levels and then carried on to university. My first degree was a joint honours in biology and psychology. And that was very much a point where I think I understood but didn't really understand that actually in order to make a career out of sustainability, it was people and planet And there were a lot of components of that psychology degree that I find fascinatingly keep popping up, you know, now uh, in terms of real life application um, and how it complemented that biological stream. Um, Coming out of that degree, I still wasn't entirely sure how I was going to forge a career out of it. So I went back and did a master's in environmental management, and that was an MSc. And definitely the nature of my work is very founded in science. You know, it's using real world data, adapting with climate science, which is continuously changing the more we understand about the impact that we have on the planet. And eventually got to a point where I understood the type of work that I wanted to do. Um, But at the time that I was looking, there weren't actually many jobs going specifically in that. So that was a bit of a an educated punt on myself, like, let's just see if I can actually, you know, form a business out of this and go out into the world and do the work that I want to do um, and see whether there's a market for it, you know, whether businesses will buy into it, whether I can achieve what I'm trying to achieve. Um, And, you know, really delighted to say that that has worked out so far. Uh, And Invelo and Icor subsequently, um, you know, we found niche little pockets in the marketplace that businesses have very specific questions around environmental management and sustainability and they're looking for that guidance and they're looking for the science actually to be able to help them make better business decisions with regards to climate action um, or mitigating the consequences of climate change. The nature of the work that I do in the industries that I work in, um, I very quickly realized that I was definitely in a minority, um, you know, as a woman in these fields. Um, 
that personally has never really fussed me. You know, I don't particularly get intimidated walking into a room of men, but very acutely aware that actually representation is very much lacking. Um, and then realized that I was in a, a unique position to demonstrate to other women that actually this is a place that you can be. You know, it looks intimidating from the outside, but the reality is that once you get in there, you're kind of equally capable of thriving and there are equal opportunities and there's multiple opportunities that are really very exciting. And the truth is that progress towards real sustainability does require diverse schools of thought and, you know, diversity and inclusion and different perspectives to really try and solve real world problems. So let, let's talk a little bit about Invelo. What do you provide to small businesses uh, and larger businesses? Absolutely. So Invelo is an environmental consultancy and training. So, you know, at a surface level, those are the services that we offer. The consultancy packages that we deliver are founded in international frameworks for environmental management. So there's a number that businesses might have heard of, uh, things like ISO 14001, which is the International Framework for Environmental Management, but also, you know, ESG as a concept which is moving forward, um, carbon management, carbon footprinting, all of these words around how businesses can be more responsible for the environment are fundamentally founded in international frameworks that seek to standardize approaches. So at least when we're making progress towards sustainability, we're all kind of singing from the same hymn sheet as much as is possible. So I use those uh, traditional frameworks, which businesses are quite comfortable with because they're written for businesses. They probably have heard of them. They're definitely being asked for them when they're, you know, tendering for work or, or applying for projects or, um, you know, meeting kind of regulatory requirements. But what makes Invelo unique is that we then use those traditional frameworks, but integrate the sustainable development goals into the heart of it. So whilst we're focusing on environmental management foundationally, it provides a really great opportunity to expand into the bigger piece of sustainability, which is triple bottom line, it's people, planet and profit, all supporting each other, all equal and equitable. A big part of delivering that consultancy comes with the training as well, because I, I feel quite strongly that the biggest barrier to sustainability remains education, understanding and awareness. I think there's a lot of words that exist and they're quite confusing. And really, it's about bringing it back down to the science of climate change and where the problems are in terms of targeting your solutions so that they actually bring about a meaningful benefit for the organization. So that training offering is is my passion, you know, and, and the way that we deliver consultancy services is very much a mentoring, collaborative, um, you know, engagement, knowledge exchange kind of process. Because at the end of the day, I feel if I do my job well, then a business shouldn't need me beyond a certain point. They can actually take ownership of that sustainability strategy. Obviously, we hope that they still want us. We can provide value, but they shouldn't need us. And that is a critical point for me and something I feel quite strongly about. So for those people listening who perhaps aren't involved in this at the moment, maybe they're not running a business, but they're interested in this in general terms. Can you define what net zero really means. I mean, we, we hear it all the time on the press. We hear that we all have to aim for it. But recently, scientists have said, actually, we've got to bring that date forward. We can't wait any longer. Can you define that for our listeners? 
Absolutely. It is quite complicated. Fundamentally, net zero is compared to a baseline. So we're looking at a different point in time, which the government has predetermined, that says when we were emitting carbon at this point in time, that is the level that we want to get back to. So we don't want to create any more carbon than was created at this point in time. And the journey towards net zero is essentially reversing, reducing the amount of carbon that we create to get back to that line in the sand where they've established a, a net zero benchmark is. What it is essentially is an, a reduction in creating carbon. You you stop creating carbon and that is how we achieve net zero. But as you say, it often gets confused with some of the other words around carbon management. And I think the biggest trap I see businesses falling into is the difference between net zero, which is a carbon reduction, an absolute carbon reduction versus um, offsetting, which is, okay, we know how much carbon we produce and we're going to plant some trees to compensate for that. So yeah, the big difference there is it's an absolute reduction, but with the caveat that it is against a baseline that is predetermined in time. So it's not absolute zero. Talking about offsetting. So we all know that really, if we're going to travel to Australia, for example, we, we should really be offsetting our travel. Um, for business, how do they offset in reality? And what does that really mean for carbon reduction? In terms of carbon management, we tend to work along a structure called the carbon reduction hierarchy, which, uh, again, you've probably seen or heard in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's called the resource efficiency hierarchy. Sometimes it's called the energy hierarchy. And in fact, we even see it in UK legislation in some ways for stuff called like the waste management hierarchy. And essentially, it's a it's a pyramid that goes through the choices that you should make when you're trying to figure out how to do better. And it is quite succinctly summarized as the three R's. You seek to reduce, you reuse, and then you recycle. Offsetting comes at the very bottom of that pyramid. So for organizations who are looking to reduce their carbon footprint, they should be focusing on areas for reduction as a priority. So that flight to Australia how business critical is it? Uh, if you do have to fly, there's a difference in your footprint, whether you fly first class, business class or economy class. There are ways to choose your routes so that you've not got multiple stops because with an aeroplane, the biggest carbon impact is actually during takeoff. So are there more direct routes? But really, that's the reduce, you know, the reuse, the kind of change, the approach of how you do that. But the first question should be, do we have to? Because if we don't fly, then there's no carbon emissions as a result of that. All of the international frameworks strive to work you down this hierarchy and offsetting is the absolute last step in that process because offsetting alone could never compensate for the volume of carbon that we are producing. So it's lovely and I fully advocate plant as many trees as you want. They're good for nature. They're good for us. They're good for health and well-being. But we should not be depending on planting trees today to kind of make up for all of the carbon that we're producing through our activities and operations. Tell me a little bit about iCore because this is your platform, isn't it? That really businesses really going to have to pay more attention to what they're doing. ICOR is very exciting um, and I do get a bit geeked out by it. But essentially, 
been going through the international um, frameworks for environmental management in order to determine where you have opportunities to do better for the environment. It asks you to go through quite a, a rigorous assessment of actually where you are in the world right now and what is materially relevant to your activities in terms of environmental protection. And one of the processes that you go through to identify what is relevant to your activity is to determine which laws apply to your activities. In the UK, we have over 250 pieces of environmental legislation. That's specific environmental legislation. But there is actually also a really strong overlap between some of the health and safety regulations that exist. Because fundamentally, if we're protecting the environment, we're also protecting human health and well-being. Um, and the truth is, is that that is actually really difficult for businesses to know or understand. There isn't really a single place that you can go to that helps keep on top of all of this legislation. And the reality of legislation is it changes with science. So where we understand the impact that we're having on the environment, the more data we get around that particular impact, the, le the legislation is likely to change to meet what we understand about the science. In order for the government to actually achieve their own net zero target, the only mechanism that they have is going to be the regulatory framework in order to drive that through businesses. And although we're talking about carbon, which I think most people, you know, we think of it like air, you know, it's just the stuff that emits invisibly into the environment. That's not true. You know, every part of the environment has a potential carbon footprint and a potential environmental impact. And regulation exists to protect the whole environment. So you're looking at the stuff that you buy, the chemicals that you use, the waste that you produce, the water that you use, the water that you produce, uh, emissions to air, protection for biodiversity, species, habitats, um, the stuff that you build and create and how that gets dealt with at the end of life. Every single one of those elements has a carbon impact, has a carbon footprint, but also has existing regulation around it that is just going to get more stringent as we progress towards net zero. So we set about uh, creating a platform that allowed organizations to much more easily understand which laws apply to their specific activities um, and that's quite a nuance as well for small businesses that are growing. So, you know, depending on what you do, you could do an assessment today and, you know, certain laws don't apply. But once you hit particular thresholds, then that regulation comes into scope and there's probably something that you're going to have to do about it. And the risk for businesses is not knowing that, you know, not knowing that there's a particular law that applies and the consequence of not complying with legislation is that you could inadvertently be causing pollution to the environment, causing harm to the environment. And that then opens your business up to risk that you could be uh, prosecuted, fined, you know, the reputational damage and impacts on business as usual, which obviously none of us would want. So the idea is it takes businesses through a, an intelligent audit. You just answer questions about what your business does, and then it helps you identify your strengths and weaknesses in terms of compliance and where there are potential risks. It helps develop strategies um, that you can then take forward to be able to do better. Once you know that you're basically compliant, because this is just the law, it applies to everybody, but once you know what 
parts of the environment are protected relevant to your activities, you're also going to have all of the headlines of where you can do better. So if water, waste, air, you know, land came up as, right, we've got laws that we have to apply with, then we also know that those are the areas that you can focus on for ultimate improvement going above and beyond legislation. But it helps as a, a decent starting point, you know, to really understand, like I said, what's materially relevant to the organisation. So it all sounds fairly restrictive, doesn't it, for a business at the moment? They've got to comply with this uh, 250 pieces of environmental legislation to comply with. But we know that if um, businesses can follow these principles, these net zero principles, it can benefit the business in the long term. Um, have you got some case studies you can you can share with us, some examples of best practice? Well, for a lot of organizations, you know, a priority focus on doing better for the environment is founded in um, concepts of resource efficiency. So, you know, the big piece of sustainability is we are operating on a finite planet and the resources that we have available are being depleted and we are creating more waste than this planet is able to absorb or, or cope with. Once you start looking at, okay, so how can we be more responsible, more efficient with the resources, the natural resources that we're, you know, processing through our organization, you find that you get more efficient with those, which has a genuine environmental impact, carbon reduction as a consequence. But we also see that it tends to have a financial benefit for the business because you're not wasting money. You're not buying stuff that you don't need. Your process has become more efficient. So the wastes that occur at the end of that um, reduce, which I always think is quite interesting. Waste management is a, is a particular area of the environment that I joy, enjoy. I do enjoy it. Not many people do, but it's really interesting because... If you think about what's being thrown away, it really raises a lot of questions about what are you buying in the first place? Like, why are you buying that? And what are you doing with it in an inefficient way that is creating this volume of waste that you then also have to pay to get rid of? So everything that goes in your bin in an organizational context, you've paid for twice. You've paid to buy it. Well, three times, actually. You paid to process it. And then you're paying to throw it away at the end of the line. Where I find it really exciting is, um, you know, obviously I work with a number of different businesses and a number of different sectors and each sector kind of has its own challenges. But when you start on this journey of resource efficiency and you get different people within an organization involved in the conversation, what I love is like the shift change in culture. And it's, it's, it's it's really interesting to see that journey happen. You know, the first sessions I tend to run with organizations, they're sitting there, they're a little bit intimidated. It's a lot of information because I have to educate on sustainability first before we can go into, okay, but what does it actually mean to you as an organization? But I try really hard to draw out parts of it so that each person can walk away feeling empowered that they know what they can do in their specific job function uh, to be able to support the bigger piece. But what gets really exciting is that, you know, people start to take ownership and they get quite excited and actually collaboration and partnerships ensue. So one department is like, we can't do this alone. We need to go and talk to that department and you get just better teams as a result of it. And definitely people want to do something that they feel passionate about and a lot of people feel very passionately about sustainability even if it's not 
you know, the tree hugging type of sustainability. They just know at a broad level, we want to leave the world better off, you know, by the time we're finished doing what we want to do. And that behavioral change and that, you know, movement. And then for organizations, like I say, they're saving money, they've got a more engaged workforce. But the more that they're able to demonstrate towards sustainability, then also enhances their future recruitment. I'm seeing people getting reduced uh, insurance quotes, you know, because they've got better foresight, uh, you know, better overview of their compliance status. They're able to access funding and investment much more easily. So it comes back to that triple bottom line, you know, people plan and profit. If you focus on developing all of those areas uh, in tandem, then it brings a multitude of benefits for organizations. You're listening to Why Small Business Matters. Find out how Northumbria University can help your business thrive through the Help to Grow Management Programme, delivered by leading small business and enterprise experts from Northumbria University with the support of leading figures from industry and experienced entrepreneurs. The programme supports senior managers of small and medium-sized businesses to boost their business's performance, resilience and long-term growth. The 12-week programme is 90% funded by the government and the fee payable by participants is £750 and has been designed to allow participants to complete it alongside full-time work. The in-depth, high-quality curriculum supports you to build your capabilities in leadership, innovation, digital adoption, employee engagement, marketing, responsible business and financial management. By the end of the programme, you'll develop a business growth plan to help you lead your business to realise its potential. To find out more about the programme, the modules, eligibility and fees and delivery dates, go to northumbria.ac.uk slash help to grow. listening to Why Small Business Matters. I'm Sarah Stevenson, and today I'm talking to Tama Carell, founder and owner of Invelo and iCore, an environmental consultancy and compliance platform. There have been some recent studies, haven't there? Particularly, the, there was one by Deloitte that shown that 55% of consumers um, will choose food and non-alcoholic beverage brands that have environmentally sustainable values and practices. So there's a real big impetus there, isn't it, as consumers for us. Um, I know we have a cost of living crisis at the moment, but I think most of us are prepared to pay a little bit extra if it means that we know that those products are more sustainable. Absolutely. I think there's definitely, you know, a shift in the will in the marketplace um, and consumer expectations. And I do, I do, think COVID had a lot to do with this, you know, suddenly when the world stopped and we saw that actually when the world stopped, nature started to thrive, you know, a little bit more and we were stuck in our local communities and that made, you know, that one hour a day when you were outside and you, you suddenly started to really value the nature that was on your doorstep. And we had time to think about what we could do to positively affect that or what different choices that we could make. I I agree um, that, you know, generally consumers are demanding more from businesses and therefore the risk again for businesses is if you're not thinking about it and you're not anticipating what your customers are going to be asking for, then you are, you know, undermining your ability to thrive to be a sustainable organization because if not now, it's only a matter of time that those demands are going to come through. I think the flip side of that, it is, is still very difficult for consumers to really know 
that the choices that they're making are the right choices. And it is, again, because of the language that is used around this, you know, what does a carbon neutral drink actually mean? <laughs> or is it carbon neutral? Is it just the drink or was it the whole manufacturing process? Um, if you're looking at different kind of, you know, you want to buy coffee, for example, and you've got coffee that's fair trade, which is a social uh, stamp, or one that's Rainforest Alliance, which is an environmental stamp, like, how do you actually compare those two? Because they're different parts of sustainability, and both equally important, but it's not a like-for-like a, a -like comparison, for example. And again, I can see this event at the moment, the words around sustainability are not regulated, but uh, interestingly, not from a environmental legislation perspective, but from the marketing uh, regulations that are coming through. We've seen guidelines come out in terms of how businesses communicate about their environmental performance. Uh, trading standards is proactively um, pursuing businesses who are claiming net zero to verify that that is in fact an accurate claim. Um, and there's some legislation coming through about you know, competition and markets, uh, the CMA Competition Markets Authority, in terms of how businesses collaborate to achieve sustainability. So I find that very interesting because now actually you're talking about marketing and you can see environmental regulation coming in there in terms of what businesses can and can't say about their environmental performance. What it fundamentally comes down to is it says their claims should be scientifically accurate. <laughs> Definitely. I, I was about to ask you what role do you think government should play in this, but it sounds as though, you know, they are making efforts to try and understand really the terms and make sure that those businesses who are state have made those claims that they are in fact that they um, are true and accurate you know that's the only expectation expectation just tell the truth that's all we want from businesses <laughs> so we've talked a bit about um business and the role you can play with them to help them understand their requirements but also how they can really really help to um to meet these standards but also what can we do as individuals I think, I mean, I I really think the biggest thing that we can do is challenge the stuff that we buy. Um, and, you know, it, it all sits in that reduce element of the, of the resource efficiency hierarchy. Not so much like where it comes from, obviously seeking, you know, environmental accreditation, um, something that verifies that it's a responsible product. But I've definitely been on a bit of a personal journey over the last few years in terms of the stuff I think I need. And actually about 80% of the stuff I thought I need, I actually don't. So eliminating that, you know, just stop consuming and then the stuff that you do need, then seek to, um, you know, get stuff that is credible, that is reliable, that is uh, responsible towards the environment and ideally regenerative towards the environment. Although that in itself is a constantly evolving science and relatively new. So we're also just trying to figure out what that means. Um, there are the headlines, you know, I, there's a lot of information out there in terms of what people can do personally, um, you know, thinking about your travel, the choices you make again, do I need to make this journey is a really the best thing you can do. And if I do need to make this journey, what is the most efficient uh, and responsible way that I can do that? Um, reducing, you know, meat consumption, and I'm not, you know, I don't even advocate for, for perfect vegetarianism or veganism. It's just a reduction, you know, just really critiquing the choices that you make. Um, 
But then also, you know, this is carbon footprinting that we tend to think about what reduces carbon emissions. But I also come back to waste. So if I'm buying something, I always ask myself, how am I going to throw this away when I'm finished with it? And uh, if it can't be reused or recycled, I will try to find an alternative, you know, product that that might be able to do that. And the waste, you know, the microplastics, the impacts on the ocean, the other stuff that we're so familiar with in terms of the impact that we have on the environment is not considered carbon. Typically, it sits in scope three of carbon, so it's often not measured in corporate carbon footprints, but it is in itself a significant impact on the environment. And how do businesses in the UK compare to our competitors around the world in terms of reaching these goals? Um, I'm get, nobody's doing great right now. <laughs> Um, it, yeah, nobody's doing great. The most recent COP, um, meeting, uh, conference of the parties, which is designed to review, um, how each country that committed to the Paris agreement, the Paris agreement was signed in 2015. And that was a global commitment that each country would try to implement regulation to ultimately ensure that global warming does not exceed 1.5 degrees centigrade. And that, you know, understandably requires a globally collective effort to actually achieve that. Uh, The last um, conference uh, concluded that uh, pretty much nobody had got to where they were going to be and the probability of us staying below 1.5 is is really slipping away from us. We've got a really, in fact, they say within the next seven years, by 2030, if we haven't seen significant reduction, we're talking anywhere between 50 to 70% reduction, stopping, you know, not producing carbon, that's going to bring us back into line. But that's quite difficult to rationalize against development, you know, and a growing population and the needs that people have for schools and houses and roads and infrastructure and all of that building and development is inherently carbon heavy. So it's it's difficult. Um, but I do fundamentally believe we, we still could, you know, with a concerted effort, we absolutely still could. I'd like to talk a little bit about your your role in STEM. Um, we often hear about trying to encourage more women, more girls to take up those subjects at uh, at school and possibly at university, um, and really encourage them to to look at those subjects about starting a business or or perhaps going to work for those businesses. How does that link with uh, your interest and, and your campaign around environmental sustainability and so on? I I genuinely believe that sustainability and the progress towards it requires multiple perspectives you know we always think about kind of cost and benefit so if we do this action what would the cost be and what would the benefit be but if we take a global perspective the costs and benefits you know from England to South Africa for example where I'm originally from they're literally not the same, you know, so you need to know, well, if we do this action in England, actually, what would the consequence be in South Africa or another developing country or another first world country? And really, what does that cost benefit really, really look like? A lot of the people that I know working in environmental management and working in sustainability are, in fact, women. Um, And I think that does have a little bit to do with um, 
you know, kind of a nurturing approach to this planet, you know, Mother Nature and and wanting to protect her and and understanding the the value of life. And I think, you know, a female perspective when we make decisions about sustainability is incredibly, incredibly valuable. Um, and, you know, honestly, just all diversity and equality, like the more people at the table, the more perspectives at the table, the better the solutions will be. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And actually, so does the United Nations, because out of the sustainable development goals, the final goal, goal 17, is partnerships for sustainability, this inherent understanding that absolutely no single person, organization, or government could come up with all of these solutions on their own, because you just don't know what it's like to live in someone else's shoes for a day. And that's fact. I think when I was growing up, um, nobody told me I could do this job because this job didn't exist. Um, but my scientific background, and I'm, you know, I'm not an engineer. I completely honestly kind of modeled my way through A-level biology. I didn't perform particularly well, you know, at that level. Modeled my way through university a little bit. I'm kind of actually not natural academic, but it was a love of a subject that kind of pushed me through. And, you know, even now I'm so far away from university, like that rigor, that scientific rigor, that critiquing the information that's getting to you, that's challenging it, that asking for proof is really the the fundamental skills that allow me to be good at the job that I do. I think the way that uh, girls are engaged in STEM subjects, you know, so this I think goes way further back, you know, not at a point where people are deciding what jobs they do. It's it's really when they're in school um, and kind of that pre-GCSE age, you know, when before you start narrowing down your options, you study all your subjects and then you have to narrow down. And I think that's the point where young girls just need to see that these are careers and options and opportunities that are available to them if they want it. I think as a, you know, 11-year-old girl, if you're looking at a boardroom full of men, it's really scary. You don't see yourself there because there's no one there that looks like you. Um, so that's it. You know, I feel what I can do is I can be visible um, and I can be vocal about the places that I work and I can just try and reach as many girls as possible to say, if you want it, like it's yours, just come and take it. There's literally, literally nothing stopping in your way. I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> to to finish, Tama, I'd just like to um, go back to business and think about uh, one thing perhaps that you would say a small business listening to you today, um, thinking about their own emissions, um, how they're going to meet some of this legislation going forward. What one thing should they start thinking about today? I think the thing to think about is the words that you intend to use when you communicate about your environmental performance. So if you want to be able to put on your website, we are net zero, I think it's really just important that you understand what that word means um, for you and for your organization, academically, scientifically, just make sure that the promises that you're putting out, you can validate. And then it is about the proof. So you've got a commitment to net zero. 
as a consultant, as an auditor, if I was sitting in front of you, the first thing I would say is, well, can you show me what you've done so far? Can you show me how you plan to get there? So your promises should be backed up and the words that you use should be words that you understand and can verify. And that can be any part of the environment, any part of sustainability. So even if you're a very socially oriented business or a very environmentally oriented business, if you're working positively in any of those spheres, it's having, you know, subsequent benefits for other areas of sustainability. But I think the promises you make are important. Just know what you're committing to. Tamit, thank you so much. It's been an education listening to you today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again to today's guest, Tamar Carell. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, why not listen to some of the other subjects we've covered, such as engagement, mental health and business, and university collaboration. If you'd like to find out more about how Northumbria University can help your business, go to northumbria.ac.uk forward slash help to grow. (laughs) 